This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week, we preview the business and market stories for the week to come with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Now, let's talk about this March the 1st deadline in the US-China trade talks, which looms ever closer, Craig, although uh, President Trump has said that he is open to pushing off the deadline to complete negotiations. And he said March 1 is not a magical date. So there's a bit of compromise in the air. Yeah, it seems that we've gone from weeks where now everything is about how talks are going and trying to catch little snippets of information to try and build a picture to next week in this and another circumstances seems to be a really important week, whether it be a vote or deadline. Uh, and this is the latter. As you say, Trump's very much alluded to it not being a magic date, so it's quite clear that there's a high likelihood that we're going to see an extension to the truce. There's been a lot of talk this week uh, that there's they're now working on the technical details of various memorandums uh, in order to finalise certain details, particularly in relation to some of the more controversial aspects, less soybean purchases and more technology transfers, etc., it does look like we're moving somewhere. I, I get the feeling that this isn't going to be signed off next week. One, because we haven't had an announcement that there's going to be a meeting between Trump and Xi, which is what he said. He said he's not meeting President Xi again until there's a deal uh, ready to be signed off. And two, because he does have a meeting now uh, with Kim Jong-un, which is going to attract a lot of the more political attention. So I struggle to see a late meeting being penned. So are markets fairly positive about this at the moment? Yeah, they are. I mean, if we look at the way markets are trading right now, we're certainly seeing a, a, an element of risk on, which is really beneficial, obviously. It means that equity markets are climbing again. We're getting closer towards those peaks that we were at prior to the fourth quarter sell-off. So that's really encouraging. We're entering an interesting part of the environment right now whereby a number of risk factors were priced in it in Q4. And slowly but surely, these are abating. So whether it's monetary policy, we've got various central banks around the world, and we will talk about a couple of these who are very much softening their stance, becoming much more dovish, some even referencing the possibility for rate cuts this year to really highlight the fact that this global growth slowdown is very real. In becoming more accommodative, that is supportive for the markets because it shows that they're reacting in a timely fashion before anything actually takes too much of a negative turn. The fact that we're seeing progress in these US-China trade talks like this, this is the world's two largest economies. This will be the biggest trade deal ever made. I'm not necessarily sure it's going to be the most comprehensive, but we'll, we'll see what the details look like. This is a major headwind that is going to potentially be removed. And then obviously there's Brexit and we'll, we'll come to that, but I am confident is going to be resolved over the next couple of months. So when you take those three factors away, then just a global growth slowdown, I feel like is something that investors can cope with, whereas the combination of all four is not. And you mentioned uh, the dovishness of central banks. And let's talk about Fed Chair Jay Powell's testimony to the Senate Banking Committee and House Financial Services Committee on Tuesday and Wednesday. That is likely to keep investors on their toes for any further insights, isn't it? On the one hand, the Fed's already become much more dovish. The markets are, price, are not really pricing in anything for this year, even though the Fed continues to suggest there could be a rate hike or that there will be a rate hike. The flip side to that is Powell in the past has been known to shoot from the hip. So he he has this air of unpredictability about him. And these Senate committees, the Senate Banking Committee and the House Financial Service Committee hearings can be 
quite brutal for the various chairs. They can be highly political at times, but then there will be a lot of uh, very uh, direct questions, and it'll be interesting to see how Powell does respond to these. It's not his first, of course, but it does leave open the possibility that he may say something that can rattle the markets. Well, inevitably, let's turn to Brexit, Craig, and Theresa May's efforts to win round European leaders uh, continues. There's a summit in Egypt over the weekend, and the Feb 27th vote looms ever closer as well. And she's been warned by dozens of normally pretty loyal Conservative MPs that they could rebel against the government in a bid to prevent a no-deal Brexit. Difficult to know at this stage what is going to happen. Of course, uh, we've been saying that for the last two and a half years, but no-deal, extension, second referendum vote, what's happening? It's not even clear at this stage if Theresa May is bringing anything back to Parliament this week. We keep hearing that she's hopeful. We keep hearing that a lot of work is happening behind the scenes. Do you think that vote might be cancelled? I think it'd be almost impossible for her to cancel it because that would incentivize other lawmakers within her party to break away, resign and join the other MPs who have already done so. Uh, and it would also give then a lot of support to the left. It's really difficult to see how she's actually going to manufacture this move this week because, uh, as I've said repeatedly, I'm firmly of the belief that we're not going to get anything signed off prior to the 21st, 22nd of March meeting of the European Council, which will then have to be confirmed by the UK Parliament. So it's going to be very much a last minute deal. So how she's going to get around this this week without suffering too much collateral damage in the meantime, it's going to be really interesting to see. And I, and I use that interesting word obviously very loosely because let's be honest. This whole process has got so incredibly boring uh, to watch from the outside. We're really trying to pick apart all the tiny pieces and trying to get an insight into a politician's mind and strategizing to try and anticipate exactly what they're going to do at every next step. Steps which have already been laid out, I'm sure, within within the, their private residences. And in reality, we just kind of want them to just get on with this and get this over the line. I'm really struggling to see exactly what this plan is going to be this week because people are now resigning, the parties may not have suffered massively so far losing nine members and three members but those numbers could rise over this weekend and could rise more next week depending on exactly what Theresa May does and also what we've uh, just heard about today this potential new amendment for later on in the week could see further resignations from the Labour side as well and just because the numbers so far haven't been devastating we're talking about fine margins that we have in Parliament at this moment in time in terms of the majority and in terms of the numbers that Labour are losing another half a dozen resignations on either side and this starts to get really serious how is this affecting Sterling at the moment Surprisingly, it's not really had much of an impact at all, and maybe that's just because people just don't think this is going to have a direct impact uh, on the actual outcome of the Brexit negotiations, and they're probably right. Indirectly, it's going to put a lot more pressure on Jeremy Corbyn to pick a path effectively. Uh, the amendment itself is calling for Labour to support uh, Theresa May's deal, um, or to call for supporting Theresa May's deal in exchange for a people's vote on it. I, I struggle to see how that's necessarily going to pass because as long as Theresa May's Conservative Party and the DUP vote against it, it will fail. But it means that Jeremy Corbyn's going to be forced to actually either back it or go against it, which almost would go against his uh, previous pledge at the Labour Party conference to leave that as an option on the table. This would suggest that it's not an option on the table. But at the moment, sterling traders are very, very composed. 
I think there's still a high confidence that we are going to see a deal over the line eventually. And I'm very, again, I'm very much in that camp and that we're just playing the whole political game here. And as always, the minute to midnight option is always the option that's chosen because it makes both sides look like tough negotiators and it looks like both sides have got the most possible out of a deal. Let's uh, look to the Bank of England inflation report hearing. What should we expect from that? Well, again, it's almost like the last meeting itself and the press conference which followed. There's only so much the Bank of England can actually say at this moment in time because they still don't know what the outcome of Brexit is going to be. He's going to be pushed into trying to make statements about Brexit, which I'm sure he's not going to want to make. But as we've seen, I think he's become accustomed to these questions and he knows how to deflect away from them and not try to draw too much attention to his own personal views and the views of the bank and get involved in the political firing line, as it were. I think this could be a relative non-event just for that very reason. The fact that he's going to try and take a, a step back, he and his colleagues were so close to Brexit day now, that's going to influence how, where, where interest rates are going, not not the current economic data. Okay, and finally, UK earnings. Yeah, I mean, this is just really a note on what we've got coming. So the two major political stories are really going to be what's going to be driving the markets this week. But we've got to note that there are earnings results as well, which are going to be filtered into. And there's some big names in there as well. Things like International Consolidated Airlines Group, We've also got things like Rolls-Royce, ITV, Standard Chartered. There are some big names reporting, uh, is the point, this week. And we've also got another 39 companies reporting from the US. It almost feels like US earnings season is ended, but it's not ended. We're just in the back end of it, and all the big company names, all the names we're used to hearing about, they've all reported their earnings, so people have kind of become bored with it or forgotten about it. But there is still a number of other earnings today, next week, so it's just worth noting them. But again, let's be honest, it's the big political stories which people are going to be caring about. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us. Cheers. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.